Welcome to the York Story Slam podcast, where we feature select stories from our monthly open mic storytelling events in York, Pennsylvania. On May 17, 2016, 12 storytellers shared their stories with a sold-out crowd at Holy Hound Tap Room in downtown York. Our theme for the evening was Best Intentions. Matt Fieser won with the story of a trip to Virginia Beach when horsing around with college friends went wrong. Here's Matt. I'm going to take you back to actually Memorial Day when I was in college. Memorial Day weekend. And when I was in college, I played a lot of volleyball. I love volleyball. I lived, breathed volleyball. I would play it from, you know, I'd play it morning, noon, and night. And so about this time of year, you play outdoor tournaments. And so me and a bunch of friends that I had played with, we went down to Virginia Beach to play in a two-man tournament, several two-man tournaments, one on Saturday, one on Sunday, one on Monday. And we went down. We played the first tournament on Saturday. We went back to the apartment where we were staying, and then we went and hit the main strip down at Virginia Beach. I don't know if anyone's ever been to Virginia Beach, but strip, wonderful, great restaurants, great bars. And so me and three friends went, my doubles partner and then two of my uh, good friends that I'd played volleyball with for you know a year, two years. And so we left the bar, or left the bars, we hit the bars and left the bars after uh, probably around 12 o'clock midnight because we had to go to another tournament in the morning. And as we're leaving, as we're going back to the car, it was my bright idea. I guess this could be one of with the best intentions. I saw this amusement off to the side called bumper boats. And you've probably, most of you have probably seen a bumper, a bumper boats amusement. And so I said, guys, let's do bumper boats. So we went on the bumper boats. And you do what you do. Essentially, they're bumper cars on the water in an in-ground pool. And you end up splashing and you know, kind of like screwing around. And we had had just a few alcoholic beverages before this, um, maybe more than a few. But we got off of the, we got off of the boats. And as we're walking out of the bumper boat amusement, this again is something that was done probably with the best of intentions. My doubles partner, Frank, his name is not redacted, uh, <laughs> Frank pushes me in. And actually I had stopped, I had dunked my head in the water because it was hot, my hair was short about like it is now, and I was standing back up. And Frank push, pushes me into the pool. My natural inclination was to dive in, which I did. The pool, it's only two, two and a half feet deep, which is not enough water to dive into. I dove into the water. I hit my head on the bottom of the pool, heard this kind of dull thud, and that was that. I started dead man's float, could see my arms kind of dangling in front of me, and I thought, this is not good. I'm floating there. I'm really not that worried because I do see somebody step into the pool to the left of me and I can see their shorts. I can see their legs. I'm like, it's okay. I'm okay. The next thing I know, I'm laying on the side of the pool. 
and my friends are standing around me, and I'm like, what happened? And, you know, where are my legs? And they said, they're in the water. I said, no, they're straight. And this isn't making sense. I'm like, oh, crap, this is not good. And so they call the ambulance. And the biggest thing I'm worried about at this point is I think I gave myself a concussion. And I'm afraid of what my parents are going to say because I'm thinking, oh, no, I'm going to be in the hospital for three days. Well, ended up being in the hospital for six months, and that's another story. But we got to, I guess I could segue into another story, but I'm not going to. Uh, I got to the emergency room, went through, uh, I was in the ICU for three weeks, and the, the thing I wanted to get to about the best intentions was my friend Frank was the one who pushed me in. And essentially I had a spinal cord injury, I guess I kind of skipped over that. That's how I ended up in a wheelchair. Uh, had a spinal cord injury, and that left me as quadriplegic. And so Frank would come and visit me when I was at the hospital. We, I mean, this is in Virginia. We, everyone was from Maryland. He would come down to visit me. And he had the best intentions. And there was never a moment at which I ever blamed him for what occurred. Not one single solitary moment did I blame him. But that's not what I could see in his eyes. I could tell that he was racked with guilt. And I had a social worker ask me at a rehab hospital that I was at, ask me, which person would you rather be? And I said, that's, you know, if you could take away the obvious physical stuff that happened, who would you rather be? And I said, that's, you know, almost the most silly question because I'd rather be me. Because I'd never be one of the person, I would never want to be the person who caused that to happen to somebody else. And I felt badly for Frank. And I still feel badly for Frank. And I harbor no will, ill will, no animosity whatsoever. I don't blame him. But the one thing I regret is that Frank never asked me to, he never said, I'm sorry. And he didn't need to say I was sorry. But I wanted him to say, hey, you're sorry, so I could tell him it was okay. Because if someone doesn't say they're sorry, it's hard for you to say it's okay. And it's, you shouldn't, you know, don't worry about it. And so I don't know where Frank is today. If you would say, well, look on Facebook and try to find him. His name's Frank Smith. Try to find Frank Smith on Facebook. <laughs> I would love to see him today. I would love to hug him. I would love to tell him it's okay. There's no problem. I know he probably has a lot of guilt. I feel badly about that. There's nothing I can do about that. But he didn't have, he had the best of intentions. He was screwing around, and that's what guys do, especially when we're young. We screw around, and bad things sometimes happen. It's not the end of the world. I wish I could see Frank again and let him know it's all okay. It's not a big deal. Not in my mind, nor has it ever been. So. Matt earned a spot in our Grand Slam in November. Next up is Sarah Chain. Sarah talked about a hobby she shares with her boyfriend and some of the milestones they've reached together. All right. Uh, so essentially since the day we started dating, 
uh, my boyfriend has been trying to get me to become a biker. Um, bicyclist, not a, not a motorcycle biker, that wouldn't be me. Uh, but he really enjoys it, um, was biking to and from work, uh, was biking to and from the bar, biking really wherever you could go, and really thought that I would like that too. Uh, and I forever uh, thought, no, I don't want to invest in a bike. Um, you know, that's your thing. I'll, I'll do some other outdoorsy things. So he took matters into his own hands and found me a bike. Uh, and I do mean find, as in outside, on the sidewalk, abandoned in a rainstorm one day. Uh, and the bike had something wrong with its um, frame, like it had been in a car accident, perhaps. Uh, it didn't quite steer right when you wanted to go straight, or maybe it did steer right when you wanted to go straight. Uh, and it also had one brake, uh, which had failed in some testing of one brake. Uh, but we were just going to get on the rail trail very flat. I was going like two miles an hour anyway. Um, and all it took was one ride, and I was a biking convert. So we got me a little bit of a safer bike. Uh, and all last fall, we started biking the rail trail. Um, so we went through all these milestones that I was really proud of, of biking three miles, and then biking three miles and not stopping to complain that my butt hurt, uh, and then biking 10 miles and 12 miles. And so we had gotten through the end of the fall, we're biking into December, which was unheard of, uh, but it biked in pieces all of the rail trail here in York. So this spring, we decide we biked the rail trail here in York, let's go over to Lancaster County. Uh, so they have a trail that starts in Columbia and goes, follows the Susquehanna all the way up to Marietta. And it would be another milestone uh, because the trail doesn't quite complete. You have to get off and ride the road in Marietta for a little bit. So it's going to be my first road riding too. So we get out and it's a Saturday. It's beautiful. There are a lot of families out, people walking their dogs. And we get on the trail and that's great. And we ride on the road and that's great. And we stop for a water break about six miles up. And we say, how far do we want to go today? And it looks like, according to the map on my phone, that uh, the trail stops around mile eight, another section that hadn't quite been completed. And we say, we'll go up to mile eight, we'll turn around 16 miles, that's, that's a pretty good Saturday. Uh, so we get back on the bikes. Um, and here's where I should mention that we started biking around two, uh, it was maybe 3.30. I was supposed to be back in York for dinner and an acapella concert with a friend at six. So the timing uh, didn't quite enter my mind at this point, but we get back on the bikes and we're gonna bike up to mile eight and turn around. And get on the bike and start biking and we're biking and that's great on the bike. And I start to think we definitely bike two miles. Like I don't have a little thing on my bike that tracks that, but it definitely been two miles. And there's no end of the trail in sight. So we keep going and we keep going and I think there's no end, there's no end. Eventually we're just gonna have to turn around. But you can't just turn around, you need a milestone or a mile marker, which have disappeared off of the trail. Uh, and eventually I hear from behind, um, boyfriend riding behind me says, we can just turn around whenever you'd like. And I say, okay. And we stop and I communicate to him that it's like four o'clock and we've been biking for two hours and we have two hours left to bike home and I'm never gonna make it back in time for dinner. And he says, oh, don't worry about it, we'll just book it. And I say, 
okay. Because so far in our biking journey, he's been very gracious about going at my pace, which is a slow pace. And we stop and we take photos and look at the river. But now we're gonna book it. Uh, so we turn around and we get on the bike and we're, we're go, go, go. And all these beautiful people with their beautiful families and their children and their dogs that like are on leash or are not on a leash are like these little obstacles in a Frogger game of navigating the trail to like, on your left, on your left. And the beautiful river trail that follows the Susquehanna is now just like some pavement in between clouds of gnats that are like, in my throat, and in my nose, and in my eyes, and stuck to my chest, and all my sweat. And we get uh, to a section to stop and take a water break, and hop off the bike, and without thinking at all, I raise my hands to my nose, and I blow my nose into my hands. <laughs> and I fling my snot off to the right, and I realize, holy shit, I just blew my nose in my hands in front of my boyfriend. <laughs> but there's nothing to do because there are still five more miles between us in the car. Uh, so we get back on the trail and do our little road riding and then back on the trail and get back to the car, get back to the house to shower to get my car and get back to York. And I end up late to meet my friend uh, for dinner and acapella. Um, so we try to leave a little more time in between bike rides and friend time uh, at this point. But the real takeaway is for the gents in the room, uh, which is if you're introducing your lady friend to a new hobby, uh, even the best intentions cannot prevent snot rockets. Our final story on this month's podcast comes from Debbie Gable, who shared a story about going back to her childhood home to tell her parents the truth about why she was getting a divorce. So the plan was made. My two sons were going to be with their father, and I made a plan to go visit my parents. So it was time to tell them the truth about why I was leaving my husband of 15 years. So I got on the road, the hour and a half drive, and I kept going over it in my head, and I could picture myself telling them, but I couldn't quite picture how it was going to work out. So as I got closer, and I entered the driveway, and I drove the mile into the Girl Scout camp where I had grown up, I had this really strong feeling about this disconnect between this beautiful place and all the tension I was feeling. So I went down the hill, which we called the Seven Sisters, because there were seven bumps in the hill going down the road. I went around the 90-degree turn, and there was one more bump. And I pulled in in front of the stone house where I'd grown up. So when I went into the house, my mom said, come with me, come on up to the trading post, and you can help me up there. So the trading post is a building that my father actually built that's the store for the camp that was built really close to this magnificent pool that I later found out I was totally spoiled by, but I had no idea at the time. So we went up there, and I helped my mom work at the trading post, which was her job. And that entails helping young children figure out how to spend every dime and every penny that their parents have sent to them with camp. They say, I have this much left, what can I get? And they buy flashlights and sweatshirts and pens and things they don't really need. 
So we did that, and when we were finished, my mom said, let's go home. I have a little break before the next group comes in. And I look at her, and I say to her, Mom, there's something I need to tell you. And I said, and when I tell you this, you might not ever want to talk to me again for the rest of my life. And I said, actually, I need to tell you that the reason that I'm leaving JP is because I'm in love with Elodia, and I want to live the rest of my life with her. And my mother cried, and she held me, and she said, Debbie, you are my daughter, and I will always love you. Which, of course, was a relief to me, but then I heard the truck pulling up outside of the trading post, and my mother heard it too, and so we pulled away from each other, and we dried our faces, we pulled ourselves together, and my dad walked into the trading post, and he said, Debbie, come with me. I need to talk to you. And so I followed him into the green truck. It was a Girl Scout camp, so the truck was green, of course. And I got in the passenger side, and he drove to a unit that's called Never Never Land. It's the most beautiful place in the world. There's a little creek that goes through the forest there. So we parked, we climbed out of the truck, we went into the kitchen shelter, which in case you don't know what a kitchen shelter is, it's a place that just has a roof and poles and then a cement floor with a fire pit that you can cook on and some tables. We sat down at the picnic table there and my dad started to tell me about how disappointed he was that I was getting divorced. And he started to tell me about how the Bible tells you that marriage is forever. And no matter what, you stay with your partner, you stay, well, he would never use the word partner. <laughs> of course he said to me, you stay with your husband forever. That's what's right. It's what God wants for you. And he said to me, you know, I know marriage is hard sometimes. It's been hard with your mother, who is a saint, I have to say. But nonetheless, he told me, I know, I know it can be hard. And then he said, and I don't really know why you want to leave JP anyway. He lets you do whatever you want, which of course was always a mystery to my dad. <laughs> why would a man let a woman do whatever she wants? So he really couldn't figure it out. And the whole time I'm picturing myself, I'm, I'm picturing myself telling him the truth. And as I'm trying to imagine it, and I'm hearing some of what I'm saying, and I'm missing some of what he's saying, and I'm angry about some of what he's saying, I realize that I can't get out. That the way that we have sat, there is a rail behind me at the edge of the kitchen shelter, a rail behind me, the table over here, and my dad is here. The only way out would be to climb over a railing, climb over a table, or bowl over my dad. <laughs> I don't feel that dramatic. And so I realize that I'm not going to be able to tell him. I was 38 years old at the time, and I was still too scared to tell my dad. Our next event is scheduled for Tuesday, June 21st, when we'll draw 10 names from the hat to tell stories based on the theme, The Naked Truth. Remember, you can purchase tickets on our website, yorkstoryslam.com. And while you're there, you can sign up for our monthly newsletter. You can also follow us on Twitter at YorkStorySlam, as well as on Facebook, and watch videos of all the stories from our events on our YouTube channel. Our podcast is produced with support from The Beer Ace. Find them at thebeerace.com. 
This episode comes to you with support from this month's featured brewery partner, Deschutes Brewery. We hope to see you on stage soon. Thanks for listening. This Story Slam podcast is produced by Carla Wilson of Wilson Media Services. Theme music composed and performed by David Wilson. You can learn more at wilsonmediaservices.com.